Well, isn't this awkward? Hello for the fans of the Awkward Throw Clear. I'm Aaron Chalupa. Uh, sorry with a long hiatus. It's been a busy, busy off-season for me from fire. Um, I'm sure you've heard me on the different podcasts and stuff like that. It's just been difficult for me to find uh, guests and, you know, admittedly, being lazy. Uh, but, you know, you've been in good hands. You know, you have Anthony with all his uh, you know, his content and his uh, sub-series. And then you've also had Tim Carr that's come out with some really, really good stuff. And, hey, the revival of John Denoir. Anyway, this episode here is episode 42. I'm getting up there now. And I'm with a good friend of mine, Graham Lorkey, who I fought, who I have fought fire with for, uh, I think, five years now, since 2016. This will be the fifth season. And, you know, he's finally a, a sub-leader. He was able to take the leader course, and we're just really, really excited to see how this uh, fire season is going to turn out. So far, it's been pretty wild. We've had some flooding in northern Alberta, both in the west and the east of Alberta. Uh, pretty much actually all over Alberta. It's been pretty crappy uh, amidst all this uh, COVID-19 stuff. Anyway, Graham and I sit down, we talk about how we uh, came to fire, uh, how we know each other, uh, some of our experiences over the last five years, and, you know, what is, what is some of his passions are. Graham's such an interesting guy, we're actually going to have to do another podcast with him, at least one more, I'd hope to do a few more, but we'll see how she goes over the summer. We're on different crews, we're also on different shifts, so we'll see how many times I run into him, but he's got a lot to say, and he you know, he had. It seemed like he was quite nervous to start, but he really came into his own and really enjoyed recording, sitting down and recording with me of all things. So, uh, sit back, relax, enjoy quarantine as much as you can. Still, I know it's been a long, long fucking go, but you know we can get through this and just might as well enjoy your favorite TV shows and podcasts like the Not for Thirty podcast and the Midnight Owl. Anyway, enjoy, guys. Here it is, episode forty-two, Graham Lorkey. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Awk- the, <coughs> the Awkward Throat Clear. Now here's your host, Aaron Chalupa. Was I flustered? No, not at all. Because it didn't surprise you that we're recording, it looked like I was tapping the finger. But now we're recording now. Oh, we actually are. <laughs> oh, my God. You look, you look a little flustered now. Going to get to the very end of this and have no <laughs> idea what has and hasn't been recorded. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Anyway, we're sipping on our um, our coffee here, Kicking Horse Coffee, and Caroline's Irish Cream. So typically we'd be drinking beer on most of my podcasts. But, you know, kind of coming out with the title already, it was at Coffee and Chiropractics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> not, that, not that we're going to be talking about chiropractics or anything like that. Or the coffee. No, no, not really. They're like, are you, uh, well, how much do you know about coffee? Is like the level of my my knowledge of beer? Uh, no, not even close. No, I know that uh, one of your old leaders, Blake Hayes, you and him used to be the coffee hounds, eh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that year, uh, Tiffany Screary mm-hmm. was a dispatcher, and uh, she knows a lot about coffee. She's like you with mm-hmm. coffee. Um, like you are to beer. beer. Yeah. She yeah. is to coffee. Yeah, I, I only knew her for that one season. Um, super, super nice. Is she still out in Peace River? Oh, sorry, uh, PEI. Yeah, as far as I know, she's still out in PEI. Yeah. Um, different last name. I, I've yeah, never heard it married. pronounced. It's like it starts with a W, though. Even if you told me, it would be different. I, I wouldn't have any idea. But her sister's working at the Tanker Base now too. Last oh, year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was interesting. Hmm. 
So, like, do you have a favorite kind of coffee? Like, a more medium, dark roasted? Yeah, I'm a I'm a dark roast guy, but mm-hmm. I've been told by coffee lovers that uh, you you just burn all the taste away when you yep. make a dark roast. I, I'm not sure what flavor. Like, from what I've heard, it's it's always you're um, burning away the caffeine. Mm. But possibly flavor. Definitely um, caffeine as well. I know that there's less caffeine by unit volume in, mm-hmm. in dark roast coffees. But, you know, you get a nice light roast. And I drink my coffee black. It's kind of important to me. Yes. Unless it's got Cabot Trail or That's Irish That's how I do it, too. I don't throw milk or cream or sugar in my coffee if I'm having coffee. It's always black or 99% of the time I'm throwing some kind of cream liqueur in it. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm always black, especially in the mornings. You know, you can't do that cream liqueur on your way to work. It's no, sadly not. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I find ski patrol. Yeah, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> um, yeah, I always find that uh, you can you can taste the coffee better when it's black. And like a medium roast, it'll have more flavors mm-hmm. to it. But I just like the flavor of dark roast better. Mm-hmm. So that's my personal coffee preference. I was thinking that if I stayed in Canada last winter, I was gonna uh, one of my buddies uh, ex repel spotter. And good, a good friend of mine, we grew up together. Um, he does ski patrol for Rabbit Hill. Oh, yeah. And he's telling me about all the perks and everything. I'm like, yeah, it would be kind of fun to do that. Um, and especially like if you stay in winter, um, you know, you make a little bit of money on the side is for ski patrol. And they give you a really good first aid course. They do. Yeah. Which you get is that more, I, think, I think it's $2,000 if you want to just do the first aid course on its own. But if you do ski patrol, I think I forget how much it costs to do the whole ski patrol course. It's not expensive, though. In comparison to two thousand dollars, yeah, exactly. I have a friend actually, Shailene. She does ski patrol Shailene? in Edmonton, so maybe okay. they probably know maybe each that's other. a connection right there. They probably know each other, so yeah, it would have been pretty fun to to do that and just you know hang out in you know Canada. Then it would have been, would have been, what would have been really good then was uh, would be to swing down and just get your ski patrol hours down in Nelson with the boys there, or yeah, get, or get on with one of those mountains in the area and just hang out. Yeah, it would have been good. Revelstoke would be the dream. I've always said that uh, oh. if uh, I could do anything, it would be ski patrol in Revelstoke and hack in the summer. And yeah, Revelstoke is gorgeous. I love it there. I have so many friends out there, too. Yeah, beautiful mm-hmm. country, and I like the vibes of the town. Mm-hmm. You know, all the small businesses are closed mm-hmm. on powder days. It'll say right on the front door, and that's kind of mm-hmm. that's my speed in the winter. I've actually got a, a buddy that has a snowboard company out there. Really? Yeah, Trapper Snowboards. Uh, he grew up on the same street as me in Grimshaw. He was He's more my brother's age. Uh, but yeah, yeah, really good guy. Um, and then I've got a friend that she's the head distiller, award-winning distiller, uh, Mr. Jones Distillery. Okay. They do gin and vodkas at the moment. Uh, they're obviously you know trying out some other things. I think they got some whiskeys going on, on on as well. And then I got some other buddies that uh, you know, my family and I grew up with. So I um, I've always find excuses to go to Revelstoke. And when I, especially when I lived in Canmore at the time, it wasn't too too far to drive compared to like Edmonton or Calgary or something. Yeah, like Canmore that. to Revelstoke, not bad at no, all. Not that bad at all. Except from here to Revelstoke, oh god, those Roger passed it the days in the winter time. Like fucking Revelstuck. Yeah, um, Revelstuck means a lot to me personally. Like in the winter, I have to trans transit from my parents' place on the Shushwaps to Revelstoke, mm-hmm. and I always leave a sleeping bag in the back of my car because yep. I've I've spent nights in the back of the car. Yep. You get stuck in. And those are the best nights because everyone else is stuck out. Mm-hmm. So you get that nice fresh powder in the morning. You get that yep. 40, 50 centimeter dump, mm-hmm. and uh, the streets are all plowed in there. Like they've got really good snow infrastructure in there, but the highways will still be closed. Yeah, and you just get. Uh, gnarly powder dale to yourself oh it's the best absolutely Fuck. beautiful there i was went out uh, for a ski trip with uh carrie oh yeah our mutual friend yeah, carrie yeah. mclean uh as well as colin eisner 
And yeah, you, you should have been me. That was your crew one year for, for, for a few months. Yeah, that would have been incredible. <laughs> and uh, Carrie flew to Calgary. I met him and Carrie and Colin flew to, flew to Calgary. I met them in Canmore and we had a bit of a skate on the ice. And then we went all drove out together to Revelstoke for two nights. So we got there in the morning, went snowboarding as soon as we got there, spent the night snowboard the next day and then we're going to leave but we decided to do a half day because we just got some fresh pow and yeah it was a wicked trip we had so much fun yeah pretty envious colin's uh colin's a fun guy to hang out with especially with he was having so much fun yeah he looked like a bit of a goof on the skis but uh he was having a blast which is always nice and for Colin, more so than carrie because carrie spent a few years doing that dog sledding absolutely yeah he'd probably never seen snow like that colin Colin, um, not not for ski weather, I'd imagine. Yeah, being from uh, Caledonia area, they don't really have the same kind of hills or mountains as we do out west here. And uh, the amount of snow, I could see them getting some snow, but not for the the snow to ski ratio. Yeah, and, and not that nice light, fluffy stuff we get here. No, love, probably probably a lot more uh, moist mashed potatoes. <laughs> oh, that's going down fast. So, Graham, we have known each other since. 2016. Yeah. We have. And what have you thought about me in that time? You know, um, I think the first time I, I met you, you are introduced to me as Aaron, which was strange because I didn't think I, I don't think I ever heard you call Did Aaron Did I introduce myself that. as that or just somebody else? You introduced yourself yeah, as Aaron. Yeah. People give me crap for that. It's just like, well, they're never going to know you as Aaron. I'm like, well, it seems more... Um, you know, respectful or something like that. It's like, hey, my my real name, my Christian name is my first name is Aaron. This is the name my mother gave me. I'm Aaron. <laughs> my, my mother and my father. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's it's always a weird one because then it's like as soon as after uh, that, like I, I've given that option too, where I've told people right off the bat, like, oh, I'm Chalupa, and they're like, well, what's what's your first name? I'm like Aaron. And they're like, oh, can I just call you Aaron? I'm like, sure. And then like a week later, they just start calling me Chalupa. So it's kind of funny. I think it's just like a, a kind of a tribe mentality where it's like, you know, everyone called Jodri Jodri, Patchquin Patchquin. No one's calling you Lorky. Everyone calls you Graham. Everyone calls Sheldon Shelley. Yeah. Same, same sort of thing. Yeah. And then I totally forgot your first name. And I think it was a year later, people were talking about you. And I was like, who's Aaron? <laughs> Kind of full circle moment there. No, we uh, we weren't on the same crew. Mm-hmm. Haven't been yet. No, and that's that's always been a point that I've wanted to change because we do get along quite well. We actually spent more time in this last year than ever before. I think like before Definitely. it was like kind of hang out here and there. Uh, also, the universe never really liked us because how many times you passed through Jasper when I wasn't there, and then I was in Edmonton and you weren't there. And yeah, I think there was a time where uh, you were in Edmonton and I was in Jasper at the yeah. exact same time and. Like we would have passed each other on the highway times. Yeah. But yeah, no, no, no. So it's been one of those weird things. Like we haven't even been on that many fires together. We haven't really been, um, you know, like we, we haven't done like a big trip together either. We, I don't even think we've really had the same days off for I firefighting either. Don't think we have yet no. actually. Cause, um, you have that dream canoe trip down to peace point. On, on the Peace River. On the Peace yeah, River. Yeah, we need to be a little bit more descriptive on the, on the, okay. the podcast just because of it's like, yes. oh yeah, like... From the Peace River Bridge, <laughs> approximately 56 kilometers east of Which high bridge? level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be a hell of a trip. And I think, and it's so funny because we still talk about that even this year in the sense that we're going to be able to do this, but we're not even on the same shift. <laughs> we're not on the same shift and, and with road closures, it might be interesting putting Maybe together late that kind season. of... Maybe late season. Yeah. When everyone's on five and twos, two days could be a sweet canoe trip. 
that would be a sweet trip. It's just we'd have to cut it short. You know, we wouldn't be able to go to the park at all. No. That would, that would, like the freaking drive back from Peace Point to high level is almost a day. Yeah. So well, that'd be an unreal trip. That would be wicked. Nature. 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 Yeah. And uh, 2016 was your first year back, wasn't it? You'd taken a year leave? In uh, a year and a half. Yeah. I went to half. go brew uh, in Jasper, which was wonderful. Uh, but yeah, I missed firefighting so much. We had a big fire in the Jasper National Park. Uh, the Medicine Lake fire. And then was, was that the one, um, up towards you go up Moline Lake near, Road? Near Moline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They had the, the, the road shut down and they had to evacuate everybody from there. Um, yeah, yeah. It was actually pretty nasty, but like the fire itself didn't do any damage really. It was just having the evacuations and everything where they had to, you know, leave these businesses and they lost, you know, tons of food and meat and tourism and everything too. So people were a bit bitter and pissed about that. Um, yeah, the fire kind of put itself out in a sense cause it hit a plateau higher in the mountain, um, where it was kind of swampy and wet. So worked out well, but we we're very smoky for quite some time, like almost a week. It's super smoky in Jasper, but you know, I won't complain too much cause you know, obviously we've had it worse here. <laughs> yeah, we definitely have rough air quality. Maybe mm-hmm. someday we'll, um, uh, hurt our lungs a little bit, but yeah, yeah. We, we had that, uh, U of A test, uh, last year. So we'll see what happens uh, or comes from that in years to come. Um, what was I going to say? And also 2015, the year I, I missed, that was a lot of our current leaders right now. That was their rookie year, uh, fighting fire for Alberta government. And we had a lot of complexes up in this district. So, um, that was quite interesting for me being like, Oh, I'm missing out on everything. That's such a pain in the butt. You know, I was really hoping to come back and, you know, like, and that would be the big year. So, but yeah, no, whatever. I had a good time. Got to meet a lot of the guys cause a lot of them came down to party in Jasper and it was really fun to see everybody. So she saw the sheep dogs with some guys, give some brewery tours, partied it up. It's a good time. It's interesting you mentioned that big 2015 year because I came in in 2016 and I heard so many people talking about that big year in 2015 mm-hmm. and all the experience they had. And I was talking big to people turnover who year were too. Big like turnover lot, year. lots of rookies that year. So in 2016, there's all that camaraderie with those second year folk. Yeah. And none of them seemed like rookies after, after an intense mm-hmm. year like that. And mm-hmm. I've noticed that again, uh, last year it was a busy year for our district again. And, uh, the rookies from last year, they don't seem like rookies this year. Mm-hmm. They're all very, very good. So it's kind of mirror image of, of what I experienced in 2016. I'm mm-hmm. sort of seeing now again. Yeah. No, it's, it's pretty bizarre um, to like remember people when they were a rookie and it's been years after the fact. Like I remember when Ikea was a rookie at Nissan. Yeah. You know, back in 2014, the year that I left. And I didn't even get to see him develop really all that much. It was really funny because he was telling me a story about how um, I'm not sure how much you know. Actually, no, you do know. Um, uh, Leakstra used to give him so much grief um, when you know, Ikea was rookie because Ikea was from the city. And he wasn't teaching Ikea anything on the saw. And Dave is a master on the saw, just a whiz. And like, me being a second year, you know, hack guy, I was telling Ikea, oh, yeah, you know, just make sure you use the dogs, you know, when you can, you know, bite into the tree and, and just use that leverage and stuff. And Leakstra saw that. And he goes up to Ikea and he's like, don't take tips from Chalupa for the chainsaw. I'll teach you. And then, and Ikea loved it because he's like, at, at, up to that point, we were, we were a month into fire season. 
Dave didn't teach me anything on the saw because he didn't want me to learn. But the fact that you came over and taught me something pissed him off. So he wanted to teach me. So I thank you for that. <laughs> Not like it was the greatest information ever. It's just like, yeah, you know, I got this tool as the dogs. You know, might, might as well use those when you can. And yeah, he's like, yeah, from there on, I actually got to learn some stuff. So thanks, buddy. <laughs> it's almost like Leekster saw, hey. If I don't teach him things, other people will, and then maybe that's not what I want him to learn. Quite possibly, you know. Um, it, and like it's it's well, one thing. It's really weird being a, a fire, you know, crew leader as is, because like, you know, like I've already had being thirty. You know, the, you you get start getting the thoughts of like what what kind of parent you'd be like, and if you want kids and all that kind of stuff, and you know, you're, you're quite impressionable as a parent. You know, they're gonna like learn off of you and be a sponge and everything too. And I'm just like, fuck, like. I wonder if that's what it's like with rookies and stuff because they see you, they start getting your um, work ethic rubbed off from you to them, um, you know, that, that kind of attitude to fire and all that kind of stuff. So you're like, oh, fuck, like hopefully I don't ruin them too much or hopefully I give them a, you know, a good enough experience or whatever. So there's that added pressure as a leader. So I'm not sure how Dave saw that or whoever else, but yeah, very interesting times. Yeah, there's there's another layer of weird when it's interacting with the crew leader. I always find that uh, you know you're also peers, you're friends, yeah, you no, live and work together yep. so much, and then all of a sudden that person's now your supervisor. Mm-hmm. And where two minutes ago you're joking around and having a good time, now they're serious and mm-hmm. you need to get work done. And yeah, it's a very it's a switch that needs to be flipped, but it also leaves people sore sometimes, and it's a very weird situation to be someone's supervisor yet also their friend mm-hmm. in a small group. It's it's you know, and over the years as I've talked to more athletes and you know like professional, semi-professional, or Olympic athletes and stuff, it's very interesting in that dynamic, like how similar <clears throat> like any of those kind of teamwork, like a crew mentality, camaraderie kind of thing. Um, is to sports teams. Yeah, it's and like a leader's like a captain. Yeah, yeah, know? exactly. Like, And for someone like uh, Shelly or, you know, um, you know, like I, I, oh, these kind of leaders always pop in my brain for being, you know, that, that special blend of, you know, teaching, but also the respect of like letting you kind of learn for yourself as well. Like just that perfect blend, like the Captain Winters from Band of Brothers kind of thing. Shelly, Patrick, Quinn, Blake Hayes, those kind of guys. And, you know, it, it, like, you know, I, even as a leader, I look up to those guys, you know, it's quite interesting. Um, and they, they've done their research and stuff. And like Shelly and Patrick Quinn, for sure, have, um, are prime examples of, you know, getting different kinds of leadership because Patrick Quinn was on a provincial uh, basketball team or a, a, a basketball team that made provincials and has high school. So he was a, I think he was a captain or of some sort. So a very good leader in that regard. And then Shelly and him have also been the reserves. So very, very interesting. Um, you know, like, like it kind of blends over. Like you, know, you, you have leadership in there, you have leadership in there, and then it just carries forward. And you know, a crew is very much like a team. So you kind of find your roles amongst the crew, and you know how you know to work with each one. And you just did the leaders course for firefighting. A very strange leaders course, <laughs> Not I might add. With, with the the coronavirus, obviously, it is very difficult at times. And you know, also, I guess we should let people know uh, because we are working together uh, in in a vehicle. We can have our podcast here being, you know, I would say about four feet apart from each other. Um, <laughs> we're working together close enough quarters, so it doesn't really matter that we're recording together right now. Yeah, it's like it's encouraged that we. Um, because we have to be close 
to work together, yeah. obviously. Yeah. But it's encouraged that, you know, that close group stays away from other people. So we're still doing our very best to be distant and, and mm-hmm. do all those things. But we sort of do them in four packs because that's how we work. And mm-hmm. we can't avoid all sitting in a helicopter together. No, or, absolutely not. So it's very tricky, even like the helicopter flights. Like, were you flying in the helicopter with your mask on, too? I was, yeah. It's a little bit difficult, it very seriously it? in the helicopter. And, yeah. And they have... Uh, Sort of like a sneeze guard up between the back yep. seat and the front seat and between the pilot and co-pilot seat. And uh, that's pretty pretty this, important. Let me give this a little try. i got a porter and some carolins. I'm going to see how that goes. Oh, wow. You're a brave man, Aaron. Well, it's almost like an Irish car bomb. You know, so we'll see how that happens. Maybe I should try it with some uh, <laughs> juxtaposed please wild don't, IPA. Please don't. That would not be good. It might, it might curdle it. It might. I think it kind of did for mine. Oh, boy. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, sure did. Oh, well. <laughs> you know what? Lesson learned, right? Yeah, lesson learned. Anyway, I wanted to also bring up um, the 2015 year. You were a rookie the 2016 year. Did you hear about the 2015 year? Is that what kind of encouraged you to be a rookie? Um, or, or join firefighting a hell attack? No. So the way that I found out about hell attack was actually uh, in Shunda Firebase. Uh, one of our bases down south. It's a very beautiful location, mm-hmm. a little secluded. Mm-hmm. It's in the mountains. Yeah, that's in the Rocky Mountain House District. Rocky right? Mountain House. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, I had to do a fall field school for forestry. I'm mm-hmm. a forestry student at the U of A. Or I should say I was a fall a forestry student. Congratulations, by the way. I, uh, I'm done now, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we had to do this fall field school. And uh, part of that was going to visit different mill towns and visit mills and go out in the blocks and mm-hmm. see harvesting in action and just kind of like, a, hey, you want to do forestry? This is what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And it was the last two weeks of the summer. It was the uh, last two weeks of August. And uh, to keep the cost down, the U of A uh, would stay at forestry bases like Alberta wildfire bases. And um, one of those that we got to stay at was Shunda Base. And meeting the guys and and just being exposed to wildfire that way made me pretty eager to. Oh wow, that is <laughs> Aaron's beer is very very curdled. It's like porridge. It's it, wonderful. Yeah, it actually doesn't taste bad at all. It kind of looks like warm, cooled down hollandaise sauce. Oh good lord, that's what it looks like to me. It tastes delicious though. Anyway. Yeah, we uh, we stayed at Shunda and then we went to HTC and we had the food at HTC, which is renowned. Oh for yeah, being no, I've always been a fan there. The organization all is proud of HTC's food. <sighs> yep. And uh, yeah, throughout the summer, throughout the sorry the term there, I got thinking about what I wanted to do, and fire mm-hmm. kept popping up. And you know, I didn't. I knew I wanted to work in the woods, and that's why I joined forestry in the first place. Yep. But I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. And as soon as I saw fire, I realized, like, that's kind of my calling. Mm -hmm. I I just, I couldn't think of not doing it. Mm -hmm. So I started talking to some of the people in the program, and a lot of them uh, were in fire. Mm -hmm. It's a great summer job when you're a student. Mm -hmm. Um, And you did your fire, uh, so you did your forestry school through? The University of Alberta, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I talked to people who had done fire, and I just said, look, I want to work. I want to put in all the hours I possibly can and gain all the experience I can. And they told me to go to a high level if you want to work. <laughs> That's, and you know what? Out of, all the, out of many of the fire uh, interviews I've had on this podcast, uh, like Ikea um, and other folks, it's always been, if you want fire, go to high level, which is just a wonderful thing to hear. 
Yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I think we get really good workers up here, and it's because most of the people who are willing to put up with being this far north and want to work come up here. Yep, I would say probably 19 out of 20 people. Yeah. yeah. Get, get that really, one. Get that one. Oh, you sure do, but they don't seem to last. So. No, it's okay. <laughs> People also uh, kind of tease us for being a bit of a cult up here, just because we're such a tight knit yeah. family. And you know what? I've actually heard negative things about that. Like um, hearing from some people in the in the permanent staff, they almost have issues with that when they talk to other people, like in other districts and Edmonton. It's just like we don't like how tight you are with other people. It's like, well, what do you want us to do? Do they it's feel like, like we're discriminating against them for not being part of the family? Is, is that the basis? Or? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it seems weird. It's just like, yeah, like. Um, everyone up here has the same kind of mentality for a lot of different topics. And they're just like, well, it'd be nicer if this, this, and this. It's like, well, what do you want us to do? Like, we live in one of the most remote areas. Like, Fort McMurray is significantly closer to Edmonton than us. And is and it's, a and proper it's, city. And it's a proper... Well, no, it's technically a hamlet, by the way. Oh, interesting. Yeah, if you look up, uh, you know, uh, the city of Fort Mac, it's actually the hamlet of Fort McMurray. Is it the city mm. of the municipal district of Wood Buffalo? Yeah, or something? something like that. Yeah, no, no, I don't know. No. Uh, who it's, knows? It, well, it's not in the national park. It is. I'm not sure what county it would be part of. Like you know, you have like Manning, the county of Northern Lights, and everything, and uh, Mackenzie County here. I'm not sure exactly what county it's part of, but it is technically a hamlet, which has all kinds of wonderful political topics that we won't get into because uh, this is a fun podcast we're doing, uh, not a, not a not an angry one, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, like it's just an interesting group here. And also, um, you know, I find that Fort McMurray is probably closer to Lac La Biche and Athabasca, yeah, which definitely. are all where, which would be like closer towns and stuff where we're still what four and a half hours, five hours from Slave Lake, yeah, and then we're definitely three hours from Peace River, and uh, yeah, Grand Prairie would be our closest major center, probably like Peace River. I wouldn't exactly call a major center, it's, it's no. not small, but it's Certainly not big. Grand then, Prairie is what four and a bit hours, and we can't relate to Grand Prairie too much because of the amount of fires that we get compared to them. Like they're more white zone, which is rural area folks. Uh, then that, that the forestry uh, Alberta forestry does not take care of, uh, opposed to you know the crown land, which we would take care of. Yeah, we have an abundance of crown land. Up yeah, absolutely, here. absolutely. So um, it is. We do get our own cult up here, where people stay up here for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I, you're grinning. I'm grinning, and it's because I keep looking at Aaron's coffee oh, here. God, his, yeah. his it was quite thick. I had to stir it with my finger again. <laughs> it was like it was like a thick, proper foam at the top. Uh, it, was, it, it does taste good, but it does not look appetizing whatsoever. It's like when uh, soup gets cold on the top. Yeah, you got to close your eyes <laughs> to drink it. <laughs> it's because it's so delicious. I'm just living in the moment. Um, yeah, it is quite. It is quite the cult up here, even for the permanent staff, because everyone just hangs out. They go fishing together. They go sledding together. Um, they'll do trips together to the city on their days off, just to you know carpool, which is what my parents did with other friends. If they were like, "Hey, I need to go to Grand Prairie. Like, do you want to come? Do you want to come? Do you want to come?" And I'd be like, three other moms with my mom, and they'd all rip down and they buy a bunch of crap together at Costco and Superstore, and then drive back up north because it was an hour forty five minutes to Grand Prairie. So we might as well split on gas. That's another thing that was pretty special about my first year up here in 2016 was uh, for days off, the three crews that were on days off, so 12 of us, basically did everything together. Yeah. We had a lot of fun yeah. as as three crews coming together and we'd three go crews, hiking four, or Four people biking per crew. Or, and you get a couple of vehicles all going down to Jasper, Canmore, wherever. 
I haven't really had that since, you know, you, you meet up with people on your days off, but yeah. it, it hasn't been a, everyone on those days off does activities together. Mm-hmm. Maybe you get one of those, maybe you have folk on the rocks off and mm-hmm. you, you head north to Yellowknife to go to a folk fest. Oh man. Yeah, that's, that's something most people will do with you, but that might be the one time your crew gets together and does something. And how special of, a, of, a, like a, of an area are we in that we can just rip up to Yellowknife? It only takes us, what, what is it now, five hours to get up there? I haven't been up there since 2013. I think it's about seven. It, it might have been five if I the road it, heaves were all evened out, but well, it's and then pretty we, bumpy. The and frost then, destroys the roads up there. When I went up to Yellen, I found the last time, but the time, like a couple of times before, we had to take the ferry still. The bridge is quite new. Really? Yeah. Yeah, the bridge came in, I think... In 2013 or 2012. Wow, you got to go back up there again. Oh, no, no, I, no, no, no I've, been, I've been up there with a the bridge and it was quite phenomenal. Okay. Like, I'm sure it looks much different now that they've, they've you know, added to it. And even the Tourist Information Center and like the sign and everything, Northwest Territories has done a really good job with you know, um, you know, adding tourism on the road. Because that is still very common to drive to Yellowknife for a lot of people. You know, flying is. is quite cheap to Yellowknife, which I still find like quite wonderful. You can get a return trip from Edmonton for like two hundred and forty bucks, I think. Wow. Yeah, which is like okay, it's Edmonton to Yellowknife, which would almost be the same distance to like Edmonton to Winnipeg, but I still think Edmonton to Yellowknife is cheaper. Yeah, and uh, if, if you wonderful of history up there. there, wonderful history there. My my grandparents used to live up there. Really? Yes, I think I've told this story many times on the podcast. But uh, just to sum it up, uh, grand, my grandfather on my mom's side was an RCP officer in Fort Smith back in the 30s and 40s, so like dog sled, horseback, all that kind of stuff. And he retired, married my grandma, and so he retired at an early age, earlier age. And then they went up to Yellowknife, and he became the secretary treasurer. He was on the volunteer fire department, and he was also a notorious gambler and he won a taxi cab company wow yeah in a poker hand that's amazing <laughs> yeah, i love that story and you, like you don't hear that nowadays no not really at all so yeah yeah not really um so yeah even going up there checking out like the old town and stuff it's a very cool very very cool spot whenever i have friends in europe that i you know visit over there or they come here i'm like if you got a chance you got to go up to the territories it's it's like if you want to see canada like for like what you thought of like canada back in the day or something like that uh, you got to go to the like places like Yukon, Northwest Territories, to see like that old sense of Canada. Because like, going, going to Fort Edmonton is cool, but it's not like you know, oh, this is actually a thing. <laughs> like, yeah, it's a lot people, more wild. Up people there. are selling fur pelts at this place. You know, this this store. You know, this general store, and then you can walk around. And you have like pilots. Um, what is it? Pilots Point. Uh, I'm On not that sure. Rocky, like you, you look overlook the lake, and you got the the houseboats and everything, and. Yeah, back back in the old town there, they have yeah. that. Uh, there's like a little hiking mm-hmm. to a view area. Yeah, and you can sit there and watch float planes take yeah. off and land. Yeah. And well, you got Buffalo Airways. Ice Pods TV show takes place from Buffalo Airways, which have you know a company in uh, Hay River as well as in Yellowknife. And you can do a tour of the planes there. They have a bunch of old cars. They have some old bikes, all that kind of good stuff. So, yeah, Yellowknife, beautiful. I, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Top five for me for best cities in Canada. Easily. And we are in a unique situation where you could go to Edmonton for days off or you can go up to Yellowknife. We're, we're pretty well dead <laughs> set in the middle. Why not go north? You know. Yeah, why not see it? Hmm, absolutely. And then uh, one thing I've always wanted to do too, not just like that big paddle on the river, but go to Nahani National Park. Oh, I think yes. it would be gorgeous. Yeah, I've, there's a... There's a mountain called Lotus Flower Tower, and it's in the north of the Northwest Territories. Yeah. And it is 
like my dream trip, one of them, I have several, but mm-hmm. one of my dream trips is to the Lotus Tower Flower, Lotus Flower Tower, mm-hmm. uh, to, to go climbing up there would be spectacular. It looks like a whole different, like, place. It looks like, it looks like a national park, like an Oregon. Yeah. And it's in the territories, the Hani, like it's stunning, absolutely stunning. Yeah. We've got the North of uh, Canada, I think is global warming sort of brings it more to, uh, easier access and stuff. Mm. I think the North of Canada will be a hotspot for a lot of things. Like we've got some very beautiful land up in Baffin Island area. Like have you ever heard of Mount Asgard? Yeah. That's in Baffin Island yep. and it's absolutely spectacular. I believe it could be like, uh, there's, there's so many like different mountains um, in or on uh, Baffin Island that are named after like certain Scandinavian things like, or Norse mythology. I think there's like a Mount Thor or Mount Odin and then Mount Asgard. And it's, is Mount Asgard the one that has like the big crook and it has that long f- free fall from the peak? The peak's almost like on a, on a, on a, like let's say Mount Crumpet from the Grinch where it has like almost kind of looks like a hat, like a witch's hat. Okay. I, th- I think you're thinking of Asgard. Yeah. Okay. I think you're right. In, uh, the spy who loved me, James Bond, where he jumps out and pulls on the parachute and it's the Union Jack. That's where he jumps off of. Really? Yeah. They have a, in around there too, they have a Mount Polar Star or maybe that might be the mountain name. I just know there's this huge Kuar, which is like a, a snow formation, like a, like a gully, a tight gully. Yep. And it's like 800 meters of 55 degree snow. And it's one of the coolest looking ski lines I've ever seen. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that's another one of my dreams is to go up there and ski down that Kuar. That'd be unreal. So I really north. wanted. I, I always promote. It's just like you got to explore a, a good portion of your own country before you travel somewhere else. Like when I went to Australia, and I told people that I like Australians that I drove across the country, like around the country from Melbourne all the way around back to Melbourne. They're just like you've seen more of Australia than me. And I'm like, well, where have you been? It's like, oh, I've gone to like Southeast Asia. I've gone to Europe. I've gone to here. I'm like. Why don't you explore your own country? Like there's so much that your own country has to offer that you can never see anywhere else. Like, and I, th- I feel the same thing with Canada. You should drive across Canada before you go anywhere else. I, uh, I have that same sentiment. Like I've been to every province and territory except for Nunavut. Mm-hmm. And I hope I had a chance to go there, but it didn't quite work out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've seen a lot of interesting things in Canada and it's also totally different culture. Like yeah. the East coast has a totally different culture than like a ski town in BC Absolutely. or like rural Saskatchewan. Sort of, they have their own culture as mm-hmm. well, I would say. Well, you can go to a rainforest, multiple rainforests in Canada. Yeah. You can go to a desert in Canada. Yeah. You can go to also an Arctic desert. Which I've been there. That's the one up in uh, the Yukon. I've uh, got a little well, desert there. It's a lot, like the a lot smallest of, a lot of the Arctic is also considered a desert because it doesn't get enough precipitation yeah, to, so much. To qualify as a... Exactly. Like Antarctica is considered a desert in some areas. I remember getting those like quizzes when you're a kid. It's like, which one's a desert? Circle it. And then it's like, no, you're wrong. Antarctica would be a desert. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like you can go to the Badlands. The Badlands, sorry. Um, which, you know, how wonderful Alberta is with our diversity of, you know, dinosaur fossils. Oh, yeah. Dino- dinosaur Provincial Park. Mm-hmm. Royal Museum. Is Museum. it still open? Uh, I think it's still open. Yeah, we, sure. we'll, we'll stay away from more, that. More, more political. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we could have like a 10 series podcast on political things, what we talk about alone. Um, so uh, you, you, 2016 is your rookie year. 
Uh, tell me about that. Like, what were you expecting coming up here? Um, how was your first year? Your leader was Blake Hayes. You had a crew with Travis Fortune and Chris Vodder. Um, what were you? I know I'm asking a lot of questions, but I'm sure it'll all come out there. I'm just going to more so give you some highlights to think of. What were you really excited to try out? What were you kind of nervous about? Um, yeah. Yeah. So I was. When when I first came up here, I was a little bit nervous in general. Like I didn't know, kind of, uh, as a rookie, how I would be treated in relation to other people. So that mm. that always makes me nervous. Like on sports team, I was always nervous as the rookie too, and really? part of who I am. I, I didn't really like. I, um, I would always try to rise to the occasion, and that's mm-hmm. how I would deal with being a rookie. I would try to sort of like prove myself a little Impress bit. Impress the, the and, crew or the leader from rising to the occasion. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's sort of how I approached fire, Surprise too. So I was, I was a little bit nervous, and I was like really eager to um, prove myself a little bit. And uh, yeah, so my first year with Blake, we were manned up for a few days in Fox or in Foggy Fuel Cache. And uh, just waiting for that first fire is absolutely agonizing. You have so much energy. You're so excited to go, but you, you sort of just have to wait for a fire to start. And uh, when it did, it was immediately sensory overload. I was uh, way too excited. Um, everyone's walking, you know, to the water truck and I'm jogging. I just I can't wait to, you know, get out and do stuff and, <laughs> Same thing. I wanted to prove that I was hard working, so I was like jogging to and from the uh, mm-hmm. the fire to the water truck. And yeah, I was doing a huff. Sorry, everyone. I'm making little hand gestures. I was curious if I could try some of Graham's IPA here. I'll do a little trade with you. You can have some of my porter. Oh, for sure. Thank you. Anyway, continue. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. So, um, or for- you can you can have a drink and then continue if you want. Yeah. I don't mean to cut you off. First fire was absolute sensory overload, and uh, after that. You know, things calm down. You sort of get into a rhythm. Mm-hmm. We had a pretty busy season that year. I think we had around 20 fires. And by the end of it, it just becomes second nature. Yeah, things I was really eager to do. Uh, I love running the chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And I was really eager to get on it. And Blake was a very good teacher as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the it, most calm, level-headed people I've ever met, Blake Hayes. Did you ever have a chainsaw experience beforehand? Uh, I had a very little bit, yeah, and I did mention that in my interview. And I, you know, as you do in interviews, you kind of exaggerate a little. Sean Gillis did your interview, correct? Sean Gillis did. My he interview. used to be our Helitech coordinator. Everybody who doesn't know uh, recognize this wonderful uh, name of this wonderful man. Um, yeah, fellow ginger that you probably just you know look at. Like, Maybe I'll be like you one day when I get older. Yeah, I, I, I'm a ginger, but Sean could grow a beard. I I really can't. <laughs> we used to call him Yukon Cornelius. Yukon uh, Cornelius from uh, the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer with like the um, those weird felt puppets. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the guy who's like, Yahoo! And he's got the big, like, squiggly mustache. We'll show it to you later. Way before your time as a young lad. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Oh, where was I? Uh, talking about talking chainsaw about experience chainsaw. on uh, your first fire and Blake being a great mentor. Yeah, so I was very eager to get on the chainsaw. I think I'd run it maybe once or twice. Mm hmm. Uh, not really falling like I had fallen a tree but not properly yeah. by any means and uh, bucked and limbed a little bit but I really didn't even know how to get the right tension and you know I didn't know what a chain break did I just knew that if the chain doesn't go you grab that thing and it goes like I didn't understand that how to use that safety feature yeah, yeah, so yeah. I was kind of lucky going into members course that I hadn't run it enough to pick up these bad habits. Yeah. Like I'd ran it enough that I was comfortable enough to learn. So Mm -hmm. I was in a really good spot to learn, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have these bad habits instilled. So pretty lucky there. And then Blake definitely kept that going, taught me a lot on the saw, 
Um, it was really good to see him like super calm and confident in his mm-hmm. decisions, and and he was really a great mentor. He let me I see some fires. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing too much, but it was still good to get to manage the crew and stuff. And, and one thing that's great wonderful with Blake is that he's just he loves having a say too. Like just sit down and chat and have a good laugh and stuff. Like he's not like intimidating by any means, in my opinion. Maybe that's just different for me because I always just saw him. Like I knew him when he was a rookie when I was in patrol. So yeah, it was really good too. Uh, we both like coffee, so I'd always have a thermos of coffee tucked away in my bag, and and uh, he wouldn't drink nearly as much of it as I did. But if he was ever a little tired, mm-hmm. I always had a little cup left aside for him, yeah. and uh, we definitely got along in that regard. You're the coffee, the coffee, uh, the coffee man. Yeah, and over the years, my thermoses have grown. Like now, I have a four mm-hmm. liter thermos. I don't bring that on fires too much, but <laughs> I also have a two liter thermos, which I sometimes do, and yeah. I always have a little 750 mil thermos. Uh, I got that one four liter growler. And um, what year was it? I want to say it was 2017 in the fall. Uh, Amy, Shelley, and I, we did a lot of uh, work together in late season for, for some like random things. And I would fill that up full of hot chocolate. Oh, that's awesome. And just throw a bunch of creamer in that too. Like it'd be like the hazelnut creamers or whatever. Yeah, from, that like, big insulated creamer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it would stay cold for a long time. And I'd throw some chocolate milk in there because if I'm doing hot chocolate, it needs to be like, not half and half, but like at least a quarter, like regular milk or chocolate milk. If it's chocolate milk, it's even better. Um, just to get it a little bit more rich, a little more creamy, you know, because it's powdered chocolate, chocolate, uh, sorry, hot chocolate, right? Yeah. Uh, so it's not nearly as good, but you know, I have to put it all in there, stir it up a little bit, put the cap on and just shake it. And oh man, it was just totally, it was cold that, that late season. I think it was like late September and we were starting to get into the minuses. We got some snow already. So we do some flights and do some shoveling here, some brush work, and it'd be like, you know, minus three or something. And it's just really nice to like just have that hot chocolate to, you know, pass around everything because everyone already had their coffee buzz. You know, getting too much coffee can be a little bit too jittery. Yeah, definitely <laughs> something I've been known to overdo. Is I could only a little too much coffee. I would never want to have too much coffee and then be on like I'm not even much of a coffee drinker. Like I have two and that's, that's two little guys is like too much for me. And then get on the chainsaw. Oh boy, I'm okay as long as it's something I'm comfortable at. But like, if I'm a little bit nervous, I, I the coffee starts shaking me. <laughs> like it, it's not even. It's like my nerves plus coffee equals uh, shaking. Oh, so geez. like, if I'm about to do something that I'm that's going to make me nervous, like mm-hmm. maybe speaking on a podcast, <laughs> I, I shouldn't overdo the coffee because then I get really shaky. Yeah. <laughs> Start looking like, yeah, 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 nice, yeah. Be like Start, biting my nails and <laughs> scratch a little bit. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, so, no, it's a good, you know, so far you're doing really good there, Graham. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I've known you what now? This is the fifth year that I've known you. Yeah. Because I started yeah. in 2016. And uh, this is the first time I've done a podcast with you, mostly out of performance anxiety. I've been wanting to do a podcast with you since your second year with uh, with Travis, Noah, and Laura in 2016. 2017, sorry. 17. That would have been Carrie and Colin. You're Uh, off by a year. I had Carrie and Colin Oh, no, it would have been 2018 then. I remember bugging you at Fort V, and I was like, oh, we should sit down. And then you're like, I actually have some performance anxiety. I'm like, I never knew that, because you just seem so social and such a social butterfly with people. But that must just be more of a comfort with people thing. Yeah. um, When I first came up, we're kind of flip-flopping a lot with the timeline here, but back to my first few days. It's Tarantino. Yeah. (laughs) First few days as a rookie up in high level. Um I didn't leave my room. I read a lot. Mm-hmm. I didn't really come out. I think the first time that I like left my room after work was I went over to the Hack Shack and we watched uh, Band of Brothers. Yep. 
that was basically the first time I left my room. Like I would, big move to the hack shack too. Eh? Yeah, I mean they're like whoa. You know, sort of a, like a clubhouse, very welcoming place, but definitely very intimidating as a rookie to see. Like, <laughs> yeah. these, this is literally someone's home that you're walking into, yeah. and yeah, it, it was a little bit more intimidating. I'd say more so now. They've since replaced the hack shack. It used to have a common room yep. where it sort of was always welcoming to come I in, and, that and now room. we don't have it. Yeah, so. the black mold is very. I'm very happy that that stuff's gone. But it's, just having that common room. Is quite nice. Great for everyone's health that it's gone, but it's <laughs> less great for the morale. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. So going into your second year, what was that like from from your first year to the second year? It was good. Um, you go from Blake Hayes to Kerry McLean, another Nova Scotian. Yeah, another guy who went to you know forestry school. Yeah, an MCFT guy, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah, Kerry was MCFT as well as UNB. Oh right, he yeah. d- he was both. Yeah, he he carried on like Flo and Laura and a bunch of others. Yeah, it was. I was a little bit nervous to have him off the bat. To be honest, I didn't really talk to Carrie much my first year, and mm-hmm. I didn't know personality wise who this guy was. Mm-hmm. You know, out of everyone that I felt that I knew uh, to be my leader, Travis, that was his first year leading a crew. Mm-hmm. I was pretty eager to be on his crew because I, I know we work well together from that year with Blake mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought that'd be a really good fit and then all of a sudden Carrie is my leader and I was definitely nervous about that but within about two hours of of working with him I realized that we were a perfect fit and mm-hmm. Colin also a total goober but a perfect <laughs> fit and uh, got got along with Poops. him. Poops. Pedo. Yeah, we called him Poops because he liked to fart really loudly. Oh, and really loudly, and they usually were quite smelly. Yeah, like he should probably go see someone. <laughs> Maybe he has IBS. Maybe he does. Maybe <laughs> he does. Colin, if you're listening, see a doctor. <laughs> he was actually quite a common uh, uh, side, uh, sorry, uh, sidekick for me on podcasts like, all throughout Europe when we're traveling together. Yeah. My, my, uh, the, our host, Anthony uh, DiFrancesca, uh, he was asking me who who have I had most or, or most frequently as a, as a guest? And I was like, well, probably Colin because of our European travels. I think we did five podcasts or six podcasts together. So he's still number one. Maybe we'll break that record. There, Maybe. Maybe. I, I, I feel that like, you know, I think we're at the 45 minute mark and we're still going to have more to talk about. So I think we're going to have to do another one here. Maybe, maybe in a, you know, a month or two. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> It'll probably get a little bit more natural too. Yeah. No, that's no problem, buddy. No problem. So yeah, so going into your your second year with Carrie, we're also down a guy. We're three man crew. Three man crew, but what a three man crew! Yeah, like Colin, absolute horse. Yeah, like well, fuck, look at you. Yeah, I'm not the smallest. I'm about six foot and two hundred and ten ish pounds. Yeah, I'm I'm not a not too pudgy. Not yet. The flam food has been. We're we're holed up in a hotel right now, so the food has been has been adding a few pounds. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, not, we, not, the, not the right kind of pounds. Not the right kind of pounds, mm-hmm. exactly. But yeah, Colin and I would. It, it was pretty common that we try to carry absolutely everything, and mm. if Carrie got mad at us for it, which he would, because you know, three man crew, it's really important that you distribute the weight. No one gets hurt. Yep. Colin would just throw a shovel at him. Yep. Like, this is what you can carry. It kind of, <laughs> kind of as a joke, but like we were kind of proud of our ability to to carry all this weight and, and it's I, classic young adult male syndrome. But and it was very interesting to see because um, you know, I was on Carrie's crew the year before. And to see you guys with him, it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, talk with Carrie, like, how are these guys doing? And everything. Like, oh, man, they won't let me carry anything. I'm like, oh, it's kind of like last year, too, eh? Because I, I would be the horse or the, the, you know, the mule as well. And that's one thing I've always prided, uh, proud, prided myself with is uh, being able to really hoof a lot of things through the muskeg and, you know, the, 
the the spongy stuff and all that kind of shit. So, yeah, yep. if you've never walked on on muskeg, which I hadn't before <laughs> this job, it's it's like trying to um, hike on a waterbed mm-hmm. sometimes, or on a trampoline, mm-hmm. or like a really thick dish sponge. Like every step you take is, you know, a step forward, but also a step down. You're yep. always kind of yeah, fighting it. I've always said like if some because I think it's more common for the uh, for most people is uh, walking uh, in the shallow area of a beach mm-hmm. on the sand, but you're also walking through water. You kind of combine that, so it's pretty much like muskeg. Uh, to quote Scott Elliott, uh, the biggest mountain is muskeg. It's like I know people that can hike up mountains like crazy, but they can't walk through muskeg with a freaking hose bag. Yeah, it's funny because uh, last year Cassie and I both were in fantastic shape for. Um, walking horizontally on flat ground through muskeg, like we could do that all day. But when we tried to go up a mountain for the first time of the year, our legs just couldn't do it. No way. And then uh, we we get back down to the flat, and there's like a nine kilometer flat bit on this on this climb we were trying to do. We hit the flat, and we're boogieing. We're like, oh, we we are in good shape, just only for horizontal. Like mm-hmm. you don't really see vertical here, and. In high level, and our legs were very used to the horizontal and not mm-hmm. so much the vertical. So it's interesting. You you can get in shape for muskeg, and then not be in shape for mountains too. It, well, it's a totally different workout, right? Yeah, you know, it's like sprinting or long distance running. Totally different muscles and absolutely, and like definitely some more skill to uh, hiking through muskeg. I find <laughs> like not tripping, not looking at your feet and still not <coughs> oh, tripping. Man. Yeah, I I fall a lot. I'm a clumsy guy. Yep. Muskeg trips me up more than any other surface. Really? It's so uneven, and, and sometimes you you step in a hollow, and then your next foot, you want to be the same level, but you hit a hummock where it's it's rise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have gotten used to it, but I still fall a lot Yeah, walking through the woods in the muskeg. That's why she goes, oh, my biggest fear is falling and like just falling on some kind of like stick that's poking out. Yeah. Oh, fuck, that gives me... It's like one of those like weird fears that you have. Like, it's probably not going to happen, but it's just like, oh, that'd be terrible if it did. Pretty real fear, though. Like, absolutely. Especially if you uh, if you're walking down some line that someone's cut and and mm-hmm. they were a little bit lazy and maybe left some longer sticks than they should have. Pretty easy shit. to trip, and if you do, you could be skewered by one of those. Mm-hmm. You no, know, I always, you know, whenever I have a crew, I'm always like, just cut it level you know kind of level don't leave it like yeah like you know a couple inches hanging out because that's because you look at it from above and you're like oh yeah that's fine but it's just like you don't pick up your foot enough and you're fucking humpty dumpty cut it as low as you can to the ground and as flat as you can absolutely yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) there you go that's the first awkward uh moment there um hmm how do i want to go about this Hmm. I'm actually kind of curious because like, I'm wondering, like, we're obviously not going to have enough time to cover all the things I wanted to cover today, but uh, we'll have to save some things for another time. What would you say got you really interested in the outdoors? Like, even like from a, a young age, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, definitely parents? as a kid, my parents took me out yeah. a lot. And, um, because you grew up in St. Albert. Yeah. So just, just north, uh, northern northwest suburb of Edmonton, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. And so, your dad is originally from Ontario? My mom's from Ontario. Mom's My dad's Ontario. from Kamloops. Okay. And where did your mom grow up in Ontario? Uh, Petawawa, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> Closer to Ottawa yeah. than, than Toronto. Okay. Yeah, exactly. And were they very um, you know, out, outdoorsy people? Or really um, 
nature admirers? So my mom, she was a she was a bit of a hiker. She liked mm-hmm. hiking. Uh, she was a track athlete. Oh, well, okay. She'd done some rowing as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think she did anything at the varsity level, but she did go to Queens. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad, he was more your classic hunting, fishing. Uh, my grandpa fished a lot, and, mm-hmm. and they would go. Uh, a lot of those logging roads in, in BC are excellent ways to get to good fishing spots. So totally, yeah. They uh, they know that area very well and and would fish a fair bit. They never really hunted like my dad hunted ducks, oh, really? but uh, not like game animals ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom grew up skiing, and my dad picked up skiing in his young adult years. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Money, time, go to the mountains. Yeah, exactly. As soon as they could afford it, really. Like, neither of them grew up with too much money, so um, skiing was obviously a bit of a luxury and Mm -hmm. something that they decided was important in our lives. So they put us in skiing from a very young age, which got me out into the mountains and and, uh, skied basically from the time I could walk. Mm -hmm. I'd say skiing was a real driver for my... Like, I love nature and I love being outside, but I especially love it in the winter. Mm -hmm. Like, winter, I would much rather be in the Canadian Rockies in the winter than in the summer. You know, I I always get weird, uh, very peculiar looks when I say I I really do like the winter time. Like I, I I love going for a walk in the woods by myself in winter, just like that ambient sound of just nothing. And like, especially if it's snowing, you can actually hear the snow falling. It is so beautiful and peaceful and, and there's just, a beautiful white blanket over oh everything. Like people are like, "Wow, you're fucked." Like you, you are. Are you depressed or suicidal? It's like no. It's just like that is honestly like it's just like. And I just, I just, like, fuck. I hate snow glare. So like when it's when it's kind of like that overcast and you go for a hike and it's not dark obviously because dark in the woods or mountains can be a little bit scary. Um, it, uh, to me, it's just a wonderful walk where you just have you and your thoughts and your just appreciation and especially if like you you can just hear everything better. Like if you if you, like a chickadee will fly by and you can just pick it up like sonar and then it lands and you're just watching it and just you know just admiring the whole thing and then it flies away. You always get the place to yourself too, oh, which God. is the best part. It like our, our parks are so crowded sometimes in the summer and the winter. You'll go on a easy hike and you'll be the only one there soaking in just tremendous views. Just peaceful, serene. Yeah, honestly. So. So yeah, skiing got me loving uh, the mountains in winter, and then my parents also got me backpacking and hiking from a pretty young age as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I always loved hiking, but wanted more from it. Mm-hmm. But I didn't really know what that looked like. Neither of my parents ever climbed or anything like that. So for me, hiking was sort of the most extreme I could get with my family. And then I kind of started scrambling a little bit, which mm-hmm. is a natural extension from hiking. You know, hiking's just on a trail and scrambling is more going up the scree gully and you sort of more, you end up on the peaks of mountains instead of walking through the valleys mm-hmm. a little bit more. And then uh, I met my girlfriend Cassie in forestry and she was a climber and, and introduced me to climbing and I immediately loved it. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it was that thing I was looking for. Like hiking is fun, but to me it's the way to get to the base of a climb now. Yeah, I'd love a cup of beer, Aaron. Cup of porter. Cup of porter. No problem, buddy. But yeah, so... Up to the top? Um, it's already there. Perfect. <laughs> I won't say no. You took too long. More generous. Do, do you want some car- oh, carrots? <laughs> you know, I think I'll, I'll keep the curdles out of this one. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt. Oh, no worries. So yeah, it was a, it was a natural extension for me to go from... 
um, hiking and skiing to climbing and mm-hmm. skiing and ice climbing. So, um, I think, yeah, fostered from a young age being outside. I, I was never given video games. I wasn't allowed to watch TV mm-hmm. on long drives. If I was bored, I looked out the window. That's what my parents would tell me to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, uh, that sort of helped breed an appreciation. Can you elaborate? Uh, cause I, you told me the story, um, over the winter. Can you elaborate on how much you weren't allowed to watch TV? Oh, the, so the, 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 to the point of, uh, counteractions or, uh, you know, um, restrictions your parents would put. Um, my dad found out that there's a company that makes a, a little box that you can plug your TV cord into. Mm-hmm. TVs used to be a lot less complicated, big old tube TVs. <laughs> and, uh, to unplug them was no big deal. Like nowadays you'd have to reprogram the thing if you unplug it. But mm-hmm. yeah, he had this box that you could lock and you could program in when it would give power and for how long. So we'd get home from school and we'd have like 20 minutes from the time we should have gotten home to 20 minutes later. And that would be all we were allowed to watch TV for. And you know, that's not even enough to watch a TV show for. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, uh, that Cliffhanger then, at the end. I don't even know what the fucking happened. Yeah. You'd get to a good part and then boop, TV would shut off. So yeah, it, it was it was really irritating, but um, I'm surprised we don't have a complex from that. The locks on these things were cheaply made, mm-hmm. and I quickly learned how to pick the locks. <laughs> and uh, my dad picked up on it and got upset right away. But for you know, like a two three week grace period, mm-hmm. we got to watch almost an entire hour every day. It's freedom. incredible freedom, absolute freedom. <laughs> Listeners, we'll we'll jump into this probably next episode. But Graham is a little bit of a shit disturber, and uh, it's kind of like the the epitome of a kid in a movie that kind of um, gets into trouble. Not not trouble with, like, the law or anything like that, but just, like... Shenanigans. Yes. Like, oh, I discovered how to make gunpowder. <laughs> yeah, I, I shot out honey, a neighbor's shrunk, window Honey, I shrunk my sisters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I uh, I like to explore being on the roof. And, you, you know, a bored <laughs> kid with not much to do, you know, big a, a, snow a, curi- a curious and, mind. Yeah. In a different period, you might have, you know, uh, you might have been a renaissance man. Who knows? (laughs) Nature, science, athletics, like all that, all that good stuff. And what did your parents do for work when you were growing up? Um, So both my parents are teachers. Um, My dad was a vice principal at Spruce Grove Mm -hmm. High School, which is another suburb sort of just out of Edmonton. They're not really suburbs or separate cities, but they're all getting connected soon enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, He did that, and and then now he's on his way to retirement, so he's out at Outreach, which is just like a, you know, distance learning place. I'm familiar with that, yeah. My mom, she was a teacher at a Mandarin school. She taught the, it was like a Mandarin English school. Yeah. She taught the English portion. I didn't know it was that, that kind of school. Yeah. It was, uh, called metal It's an Edmonton and Mandarin English. Meadow, I went to metal lark, metal lark, Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just the way you said it. I'm like, is that metal lark or metal lark? Yeah. Like, what, what, what's metal arc? It sounds like a welding school. Yeah. Not, not a welding school. Um, it was <laughs> where I went to school until grade two. So preschool, kindergarten, grade one, grade two, I was at a Mandarin school and my friends only spoke Mandarin. So I actually used to be able to speak Mandarin. I remember you telling me about this. Yeah. Like rather fluidly. That is rather fascinating. Don't remember a word, but that'd be pretty cool if you did. Imagine if you're just like on the fire line, just like hanging out with these guys like, Oh yeah, I've got some Mandarin pilots. No problem. Just dropping Mandarin like here, there and everywhere. Yeah. I, I wish I could, but, um, I've not retained any of it. You could like be 
a voice actor in Mandarin Kung Fu movies or something. How badass would that be? Yeah, there's always that one guy who knows Mandarin and there's, there's <laughs> no reason for it. The whitest everybody. person you know yeah. and he just, you know, breaks out with Mandarin or whatever. <laughs> that could have been me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and then my mom has uh, since left teaching for a teaching-related job. She taught at the U of A for a little bit, too. I you saying, yeah. And uh, now she works with government, and mm-hmm. she's working on a curriculum to include First Nation teachings and stuff. So Very she's cool. the one white person on an entire board of uh, First Nations people, and... You know, it comes with its own interesting challenges, and she learns a lot. And she works with people actually that are from Chate, Fox Lake, John Doerr. That's Very where they cool. were grown up and raised. So mm-hmm. she hears me talking about getting to visit these places, and then she gets to hear the experiences of mm-hmm. what would now be elders in the community, basically. And how wonderful of an icebreaker she can use! Like, oh, my fun, my my, my, my fun, my son fights fire, uh, forest fires in these communities, you know, and it's yeah. like, Oh, how wonderful, like how of him to, you know, come to our, uh, our homes and, you know, our homeland and, you know, look after these areas. Yeah. And, you know, fire attack crews are first nation crews up here yeah. and solid dudes, very solid dudes, very hard work ethic. And a lot of these guys like have fought fire for 20, 30 years yeah. Yeah. and you know, it's sort of in their culture. Yeah. Since they're 17, 18 years old and a lot of these guys are like 50 years old or something now. Yeah. Look at Alan Loonskin. How old oh he's old God. as dirt now and he's been doing it for like dirt, 70 years. Dirt looks at him. And it's like, man, you're old. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she talks about fire and, and working me working with these first totally. nation crews and, and they just, they get it. They know they've mm-hmm. been there. That's how they were raised. And you know a lot what? of their parents or brothers or, you know, them in particular. Have I did a podcast at some with, point uh, or another. You, you get to know him a little bit more this summer, but uh, Rick Labacan. I did right. a podcast with him. Maybe you'll have to tell your mom to listen to that one. I should. We talk about the these little uh, mythological people. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. The ones that live along the Peace River. Absolutely. The catacombs. Yeah. You know, I, I've always wanted to, like, to me, the catacombs and all that kind of stuff, this seems so, like, Kentucky, you know, like Southern States kind of thing. And I was like, oh, cool. I do. Like stalamites and all that kind of stuff. I do love caves. Is that what caving it, it? Stal- Stalagmites? And stalagmites, stalactites. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just super cool. I'd love to go over there and check out those mazes and stuff and then get lost and die. <laughs> I'd love that too. Yeah, I've, I've done a couple caving trips now in my life and, and they've all been incredible. Oh, even Zion National Park would be something something special. As a kid, I did Lewis and Clark Caves. It was really? pretty cool. Yeah. Lewis and Clark to reach the Pacific only after Alexander McKenzie. Yeah. Canada. Woo. Aaron, you're incredible with your history knowledge. <laughs> I Honestly, these well, names I, I only recognize from uh, like, you but know, M- M- social M- studies. Mackenzie was really big in my community because Grimshaw is so close to the Peace River. Oh, right. And Mackenzie went down the Peace River. That makes sense. And he made his way to the, the Pacific Ocean and everything, too. So he, he is very special to the north, like four vermilion. Um, all, like all these northern regions, like he's, he's he had essentially passed through. So, you know, we have the Mackenzie River named after him, um, Mackenzie County. The list goes on and on and on, like for what he's uh, famous for and renowned for. So it's like it's like David Thompson down in the Jasper area. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. That's that's a name I've heard of more. Yeah, everyone has like every little area of, um, you know, Alberta and BC, like Fraser, you know, like, it, 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 explorers or well renowned uh, out, outdoorsmen that paved the way to the Pacific or certain regions and everything like that. Um, you know, and their names live on in place names of mountains, mountain passes, all that kind of stuff. Rogers pass, Rogers pass. Yeah. yeah Mount Robson, all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. Mount Robson, another one of my obsessions. <laughs> Fucking the other day, I'll have to show you a picture on my phone. I took a picture of it. Um, you know, the, your, your desktop background. Like, so when I log onto my my computer, uh, it automatically changes the background of my login. And then when I log in, it's whatever I set it to. So I get new places all the time. And lately, it's been very un- unusual. It set up a few places I've been to before. So oh, like that's Macedonia, all, that's Montenegro, uh, Serbia. And I'm like, Croatia. It's like, fuck, man. Like, you, you pay attention to the photos I've put on my, on my computer recently. And one of the most recent ones was actually uh, yesterday, Mel Robson. I love Mount Robson. I've got I've got a couple good pictures. I drive by all the time going from Edmonton to mm-hmm. uh, the Shushwaps where my mm-hmm. parents have a cabin. So I've gotten to see the top of it quite a few times mm-hmm. now throughout my life. And I've got some beautiful pictures of it at sunset. You know, um, the alpine glow absolutely lighting the top up with that nice red color. And it is a stunning mountain. You'll have to stop at uh, Three Ranges Brewing Company one day because they have a beer called Alpenglow. I've had it. Yeah, have you now? I do it's like a good beer. I do like Alpenglow. Yeah. I actually have a podcast with Mike Lewis, the head brewer and uh, part owner of the brewery. That's pretty cool. It was a four part series. My first four recordings for the Awkward Throw Clear. Really? Yeah. That that's suitable. Yeah, that it would you. be a a, brewer. <laughs> a brewing. Yeah. Well, you know, got to keep it a little bit diverse, right? Because. You know, that's what I tell people. I'm like, yeah, it's like Joe Rogan, but a lot shittier. <laughs> you know, that's funny. Don't, don't, don't put yourself down like hold, that. Hold him in high regard. Well, you know, it's like it's Joe like, Rogan, except more interesting people, right? Because you know, the, oh, the, I can only hope so, right? Hope, but maybe one day I'll have that much of a cult following. But people get my face tattooed on their body. Oh God! I, I, uh, do you want that though? Uh, man, it'd be it'd be very very humbling and quite complimentary but at the same time very odd and unusual because it's like cool this person got this done on them you got, got, got this artwork done and it's me but why me yeah <laughs> you know it's, it's it's very very unusual and odd but i but i imagine that's you know so many different things right like you look at artwork around the world or um you know, there's just so many different examples of like, why did you get this done? Uh, you know, in your house or the or old Chinese you. symbol on your arm. Like, like, why Chinese, do you have that Mandarin Chinese. character on you? Yeah. You don't know what that even means. Like you, you think you might know what it means, but you're never hundred percent sure. And like translations are always botched. Mm-hmm. Like it's impossible to go from one language to the other without there being a massive barrier. Or and unless you speak like, it, you don't understand. Or that. like you, you ask them, like I remember hearing this one example. It's like, what do you, what, what word, what word would you use for this? And then they tell you, and it's like, okay. And like, what does that mean directly? And they say this, and it's like, oh, fuck. So, like, in Japanese, they don't have a word for immigrant. The word for immigrant directly translates to barbarian. Oh, wow. So, the word they use, like, oh, yeah, he's an immigrant. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, he's a barbarian. So, uh, how, how, comp- how complimenting? That's eh? terrible. So, it's very, very odd. So, like, if you're like, oh, yeah, I want to get this word tattooed on me. So, that's like, okay, sweet. What does this actually mean? Well, it means this, you know? Yeah, and what can it mean in different contexts? Yeah, imagine if you got, like, gulo gulo tattooed on your arm. What does that mean? Glutton is glutton. Jeez. <laughs> so that's that's the Latin name for a wolverine. But I've always... I, it's kind of a weird one to throw out there, but I've always been fascinated with that name for, like, you know, for a wolverine because they eat so much that they eat more than they should. Yeah, so not only are they gluttons, but they're gluttonous ones. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you're just a fatty... Fat, fat. <laughs> But yeah, I know. So, um, Graham, I think, where are we at here now? Let me just double check. 
I don't want to go over it. Oh, we're an hour and five minutes. I think that's enough for the first episode. But, you know, like, uh, we'll do another one here maybe in a month or two. We still have football to talk about. We still have more photography. Um, you know, your trip your trip to Europe just recently with your girlfriend, Cass. Um, like, the list goes on and on, man. So thank you so much for sitting down with me. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Uh, thanks for the porter. Hey, no worries, man. Thanks for the taste of beer. And thanks for, uh, yeah, not judging me too much for the curdled... Uh, <laughs> Water and cream. It was a beautiful disaster, that drink. I swear, it tasted really good. It just didn't feel good in the mouth. <laughs> Had the wrong mouth feel. Yeah. yeah. How's the mouth feel? Oh, it's very nice. Very rich, very bold. How's this one? Curdly. <laughs> <Yeah>. Cottage cheese. <laughs> I, I once tried to make my dad um, Eggs Benny. It's his favorite yeah. breakfast. And I didn't realize how hard it is making hollandaise sauce. And mm-hmm. I could burn water. Mm-hmm. And what your drink looked like was exactly what my botched hollandaise looked like. (laughs) And my dad, God bless that man's soul. He ate every drop of it and it was disgusting. I was like, dad, you don't have to not taste good or just feel weird. It felt weird. It looked weird and it tasted weird. Oh dear. But, uh, he, what a guy like a good dad said, thanks and ate it. And Oh boy. Yeah. Surprised us all. And before we end this, I was going to ask, I totally forgot about it, but now I remember. So you're only allowed to watch TV so much. What would happen when you're wanting to watch football? Like, would your dad be like, this is okay, we can watch it together kind of thing? We would always watch football Okay, together. Yeah. Okay. Football was totally exempt. Yeah. CFL and CBC. Yeah. 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 American football? No. Oh, no, God. No. no, heaven forbid. That was banned. Yeah. No. We don't, we, we don't watch American we're football. Wa- we're, not watching, we're not watching, uh, you know, murderers and, you know, yeah. lawbreakers. They're all TV. overpaid anyway. Mm-hmm. And they don't play for the love of the game. Yeah. Well, and also if we if we talk about that, I mean, we're, we're not watching watching the Rough Riders, Eric Tillman, and then he fucking comes to Edmonton. Fucking. The, even Tillman went on record to say that. What is it with Ed? Okay. <laughs> I'm all over the place here. What is it with Edmonton and getting like owners slash general managers that like explode teams just because their ego? Tillman even said he's like my wife told me it's like trading Ricky Ray would be the one of the worst decisions of his life in anything. Any, anything you've done in your life would be the this would be one of the worst decisions. Like that's that's something for a wife to say. Of all the things that your partner get, might get mad at you about, to be like you this thing that Ricky doesn't have, this thing that doesn't have anything to do, to do with us as a couple is going to be one of the worst things you've done. This affects me indirectly. Yeah. Not even like we're, we're married, we have our own issues, we got our house, we got our kids, all that kind of stuff. And this is a guy that got accused of, I think, child molestation. Jeez. And he, she's saying this is one of the this would be one of the worst decisions that he would make. Yeah, I sort of got to see the Eskimos go from great to bad to good to terrible. Yeah, yeah that would have been back your, to good. That, that was me, like mediocre. growing up, like they're amazing, they're incredible, they're incredible. And then it was like the Machocha years, like after everything, like because he was just coaching a really good team, but he slowly, like it was just it given tore to apart. Him. Yeah, it, it, it was Ruined given it. to him. Yeah, no, I was never a fan of Machocha. Fuck, what we an idiot. Uh, after a game once, I think it was like his second year being head coach. The, the stadium started a chant, "Choke Machocha." It was it was not good. People weren't a fan of him. Boneheaded moves, man. My yeah. good, my goodness. So, on with that. That's such a sour note. Yeah, that's good. We, we we were doing so well, and then we just went downhill it from went there. Downhill. But you know what? This is going to be an interesting season. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. We're going to have another chance to record maybe one or two more times this summer. Did you have a good time? I did. Yeah, I did. Right on. Not too bad. Not too bad. Not too. Heart, not hearts too calmed nervous. down a little yeah. bit. Well, you settle into it a little bit, and yeah. it's it's not too bad. That's good to hear, man. That's good to hear. Anyway, I'm Eric Chalupa. This is Graham Lorkey. We had a wonderful time today. 
Hopefully you guys had a good uh, listen. Graham, anything to add? No, I'm pretty pretty good. Hopefully <laughs> pretty I'll be back on and uh, oh, and not, talk to you all again. It's not, it's not if, it's when. Anyway, thank you for listening. This is the Outcast Road Clear with Aaron Schluba.